HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community. Each week, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. As we've heard in previous episodes, Bushwick is one of Brooklyn's rising culinary epicenters. One of the things that makes the scene here so dynamic is that Bushwick's restaurants don't just serve good food. They reflect the culinary and artistic identities of visionary chefs with roots that range from right here in the city to communities around the world. This week, we're kicking off a two-part run about Vietnamese restaurants in Bushwick by sitting down with the chef behind one of the neighborhood's most fiercely original restaurants. just felt like, you know, we were trying to do something authentic. We weren't, you know, trying to be anything. We were just trying to be ourselves and um, showcasing a lot of the dishes that I grew up loving. It's Thursday, July 25th, and this episode is called The Alchemy of Bunker. And as a heads up, there is a bit of strong language, but it's all in good fun. On a rainy day last month, we headed out to where Bushwick collides with the North Brooklyn Industrial Business Zone, past cavernous warehouses and rumbling shipping trucks, to visit one of Bushwick's most singular restaurants. It sits in a squat building just off some train tracks in a part of the neighborhood not so far from popular performance venues like Elsewhere and Brooklyn Mirage, but not so close to any kind of footpath that you might just reasonably stumble upon. No, this restaurant is a destination that invites people to step, if only for a meal, into its own self-contained world. You enter through a tiny red door beneath a set of string lights and step into a cavernous space filled with a kind of hyperactive explosion of primary colored surprises. Look in any direction and you might see a fleet of paper lanterns suspended from the ceiling, a corrugated tin shack that's somehow been transported indoors, or even a functioning skateboard quarter pipe. In a word, it's a lot. Uh, The ambiance and... Uh, the decor, the look, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, skating, hip-hop, reused uh, recycled items, and, um, you know, we like uh, plants, trees, and stuff like that. One feature you're sure not to miss, just beside the please wait to be seated sign, is what looks like a Bon Me street cart, set off with a pair of Playboy Bunny monograms 
and decorated in the kind of street team stickers you might expect to see covering a lamppost by the subway. Only, instead of advertising for a skate brand or a mixtape release, they say things like Occupy Bunker, and Bunker is not a crime. Bunker, in other words, is here. This eclectic space that serves as one of the city's most celebrated Vietnamese restaurants. It's the unique vision of co-founder and head chef, Jimmy Tu. Uh, my name is uh, Jimmy Tu, uh, chef owner of, uh, part owner of uh, Bunker. We sat down with Jimmy on what you might swear was a set of repurposed grade school chairs in one of Bunker's communal dining areas to learn more about the journey behind this place and to explore what's next for one of Bushwick's most exciting restaurants. But to understand Bunker's place in Bushwick today and the future it's working toward here in the neighborhood, it's important to recognize first that the story of Bunker is one that begins decades ago, in a community just a few miles from here, but practically worlds away. The restaurant is actually the latest iteration of an evolving project that Jimmy's been building with a group of friends who he grew up with in the melting pot neighborhood of Elmhurst, Queens. We were first generation um, kids and immigrants and most of our parents were out working and so, you know, uh, we spent most of our time growing up, like hanging out in the streets and, you know, being influenced a lot by who you're around, our friends and um, so, you know, I got... You know, we got uh, really into skateboarding and started hanging out with a group of guys in the neighborhood. It's easy to see in the loud, street, and skate-inspired decor of the restaurant how these childhood influences have made their way into present-day bunker. We started skating, what was it, in the 80s, mid-80s? And so, you know, we were fortunate to, uh, for me, I loved, uh, you know, the hip-hop back in the 90s, 80s. And so we grew up with a lot of... uh, a lot of street culture. But for all the aesthetics surrounding Bunker, at its core, it's about the food. And its menu reads like a celebration of Vietnamese street cuisine, with options that include familiar staples like banh mi and pho, and venture into more surprising territory like mushroom fried rice with homegrown mushrooms. I mean, the food is, uh, you know, it's Vietnamese. And uh, my background is uh, Chinese Vietnamese. Uh, so you definitely get some of that uh, mixture of, you know, um, where I'm from in China. Generations of my family, they all grew up in, uh, or they were all born in Vietnam, um, maybe like eight generations back. Like Jimmy himself, Bunker is the product of a melting pot. And as much as the story of the restaurant is one about the culinary influences that have shaped Jimmy as a chef, it's about the myriad influences that have shaped him as a person. Some chefs are made, and some chefs are born. Jimmy seems very much the latter. He recalls growing up surrounded by good food, whether at home with his family, or one of the restaurants his father owned when Jimmy was a kid. He had some restaurants back in the day in the city, uh, Greenwich Village and one in uh, Gramercy, uh, Chinese restaurants. Yeah, I I always considered him a pretty serious foodie. He opened me up to a lot of different cuisines that he really liked, like, you know, spe- uh, sp- uh, specific dishes, like Taiwanese breakfast or like Malaysian food or uh, Japanese, Korean, stuff like that. Um, and just uh, a lot of uh, relatives, aunts, um, grandmas, uncles, my mom and my dad, they were all really good cooks. Naturally, Jimmy became interested in cooking early. He remembers that when he was young, some of his dad's recipes were accepted into Gourmet magazine, and as a prize, the family got a free subscription. 
Though Jimmy had grown up around his family's cooking, these magazines were a window into a world of cuisines like he'd never seen before. So yeah, they were sending us like gourmet, and um, there was another magazine too that he submitted. I think it was a food and wine or Bon Appetit. But I remember gourmet was the main one that uh, I guess I was at junior high school at the time, and just looking at all these, uh, you know, a lot of like French stuff and European stuff and even American stuff that got me, piqued my interest for sure, like, you know, and... Uh, what was that like? Were you sitting at home reading through... Yeah, just looking magazine? at the pictures and, you know, like turkeys and, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't just magazines where Jimmy found inspiration. Growing up in Elmhurst, he was surrounded by an incredibly diverse set of cultures and cuisines. Elmhurst, I think still is, back in the day, it was, uh, I believe it was the most diverse neighborhood in the world. You know, I grew up with, like, Egyptians, Jamaicans, all sorts of different Spanish, you know, from South America, and all sorts of Asians, and I don't know, it was just really, really diverse. So while Jimmy was stoking his culinary curiosity with magazine clippings at home, he was also exploring new foods out in his community. I grew up actually with a lot of ethnic foods, just like a lot of my friends, like, you know, my friends, um, Jamaican, I remember uh, his mom was an amazing cook. I love eating there with, you know, and oxtail stew, and the, there was like uh, black eyed peas with rice, and, you know, uh, or South American or Korean. It was, you know, it was just uh, Thai food is a big thing with me. I was, I was born in Thailand, so um, always had a, you know, big love for Thai food. Across his neighborhood, his family, and his father's restaurants, a young Jimmy got a very early introduction to the dynamic world of cooking. And it seems like the more he learned, the more he came to appreciate the finer details of how a meal comes together. I was always into food. Uh, so yeah, I was always hanging out in the kitchen, kind of checking it out. And my dad, when he would make like certain dishes, he, he would always like kind of break things down for me, explain stuff, why he's doing this, so you know. As Jimmy got older, he became more and more interested in not just learning about food, but in becoming a part of the kitchen behind the scenes. And when he was in high school, he came across something like a big break. As a teenager, Jimmy began working for a mushroom and fine foods distributor. They were French. They were getting mushrooms from all over the place, and we were packing mushrooms for established restaurants and um, for all the like the high-end restaurants, hotels, and stuff like that. And we were dealing with like crazy types of mushrooms, like lobster mushrooms, pom-poms, and chanterelles, and morels, and all that, uh, porcinis. And this is in high school where I was like, what the fuck is this? It's crazy. The job revealed the food industry in a way that even his father's kitchens couldn't, taking him behind the scenes of how some of the world's most elite restaurants thought about food and how ingredients come together to make a dish. So that got me exposed to um, uh, like the high-end restaurants and the quality restaurants because we would like pack, I don't know if you're familiar with like Danielle or Boulay or these are like high-end like French restaurants. So we would know like, oh, after a while, you you know, these guys, you got to give them the best shit. Otherwise, they're just going to return it, you know? And then there was other places that you could give them whatever, you know? So, yeah, we were just, like, just packing stuff and stuff like that. Perhaps most importantly, Jimmy wasn't just exposed to the business of buying and selling different ingredients. Thanks to his boss at the distributor, 
he got to be up close and personal with the community of chefs calling the shots in the types of kitchens Jimmy had only read about. A chef every year would have a, a fly fishing barbecue up in, he had a spot upstate. So uh, I went uh, that summer and it was like chefs from all, all different types of restaurants and Danielle was there. And, and it was like the most amazing barbecue. It was like scallops. The first time I had like venison and and these are all from like top chefs and stuff from the city. And so uh, that was amazing. And, but yeah, that really started my uh, 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 interest in like restaurants and um, I guess high-end uh, cuisine, like French. It was a world that Jimmy knew he wanted to be a part of, even as he tried his hand at studying finance at a traditional college. Well, I started in uh, regular college finance. And so my dad, yeah, they, he wasn't happy. They weren't happy when I told them I wanted to, you know, pursue a culinary education or, you know, they come here, they want us to be doctors and lawyers, and you know. But he couldn't ignore the call he heard to become a chef. And as he thought about the futility of spending so much money on a degree he wouldn't need in the kitchen, he left college for culinary school, where he hit the ground running quickly. After finishing his program, he started working at different restaurants, mostly French, around the city. These early roles were intense, with long work hours and hard partying after hours. It was crazy, man. It was, it was a fun, fun, exciting times, man. Um, I came into the scene, I think uh, it was, maybe it was just about getting popular or started to get popular, but not yet. Like, you didn't see, like, a lot of young kids. You didn't see everybody I was working with was some, like, I don't know, it was, like, musicians or some weird, I don't know, it was just different, you know? Hardcore dudes and... and uh, it was pretty, uh, uh, I mean, it was pretty shocking, like, a lot of, just even the lifestyle, like, people, yeah, we would just go out fucking drinking and hanging, whatever, just partying till two, three, four, and just go back to work, like, you know, we had AM shifts, some people had a PM shift, they would hang out even later. More importantly, Jimmy had to learn to thrive under the high expectations that came with performing in elite kitchens. They were strict, man, we were, like, you know, it was, like, a lot of crazy stuff that uh, I thought benefited me a lot later on. But I didn't realize it at the time. It just taught you a lot of discipline. Like fucking Danielle, like, yeah, I give you a box of peas, peel, like little peas, just peeling the fucking skin off. Because it was, you know, it was like these, uh, the cuisine itself was like, you know, refined and uh, cutting like diamond onions out of diamond, you know diamond-shaped onions or turnoing up potatoes. Starting out as a young cook in the world of French fine dining was hard, and Jimmy had to work to impress the older European chefs who he was learning from. Like, you go into, like, I remember some of these French kitchens, they were tough, like, they were all, like, older. Uh, like, you know, let's say guys in their 30s and 40s, French dudes, and they'll give you no respect, you know? Like, brand-new kid and, you know... Asian kid, whatever, and you just got to earn their respect, and that was really, uh, that was quite our experience. Like, you know, I really uh, appreciate all that, because um, I tried real hard, like, just learning what they're doing and trying to, like, you know, um, just get their respect and, you know, and try to fit in and just try to do the job. It wasn't easy back, I, you know, I just feel like it was, it was pretty intense in those kitchens. After the break, we learn about the experiences that would shape the work Jimmy's doing today and how some unexpected turns led his journey here to Bushwick, where he's tackling his most ambitious projects yet. 
This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent member supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on HRN is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fun drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. Over the course of his career in other people's kitchens, Jimmy went on to work at some of the most celebrated restaurants in New York City, like Mont Trachet, Chanterelle, and 11 Madison Park. But perhaps the most impactful places were the ones that made him think about not just the dishes he was making, but the ingredients he was making them from. When I was working in a place called Nicole Farty, she was a designer, she had a shop on it's by Central Park, and downstairs was the restaurant, Nicole's. She's from uh, London. So I was working with this chef, uh, Annie Waits, at the time. And that was the first time I got exposed to a lot of local farms and just more local, like chickens and, you know, uh, small farm eggs and pastured eggs and um, stuff like that. And, you know, it's just I feel like nowadays people are just so uh, disassociated with uh, their food. Like the supply chain or where it's from, it's like they get it in a supermarket and wrapped up in a, you know... Once he became interested in this kind of conscious sourcing and cooking, Jimmy headed west to San Francisco to learn more from the leaders of food movements that sought to maximize the best ingredients for health, wellness, and deliciousness. Out there really opened me up. I worked for um, Chef Daniel Patterson. I think his restaurant now is Qua, but back in the day was uh, Daniel uh, Elizabeth Daniels was the restaurant, and it was um, tasting menu only. It's like a nine course tasting menu. But everything he got was, like, fucking, the milk, the cream was, like, in glass, like, you know, it's, like, organic, local cream, milk, and all the vegetables were, like, local, organic, all their meats, and so that, yeah, just being able to work with that, that really changed me, and just, you know, understanding the practices, too, I'm so against, like, um, you know, a lot of the factory farm stuff, um, I mean, I could go into, like, the, you know, uh, just the conditions and just the practices, By the time Jimmy returned to New York, he developed a new clarity around the kind of clean, thoughtful food he was inspired to make. But eventually, he also developed a new clarity around the type of life he wanted to live. He wanted to step away from some of what he calls the craziness of the restaurant industry and find more stability so that he could start a family. So he moved into something that combined what he loved with the life he wanted to make. In Ridgewood, Queens, he opened a boutique seafood supplier that would help connect other people in the industry with great ingredients. It's called Fish and Ship. It was like a boutique uh, seafood distributor. We were, uh, that's where we were, originally that's what we were doing over there. It was, you know, we were about to have, uh, wanted to have kids and stuff and wanted to have a re- more regular schedule, get out of that craziness. Craziness, it seems, had other plans. Fish and Ship was just getting started when, in 2012, the shop was devastated by Hurricane Sandy, forcing Jimmy to ask what would come next. But in that destruction, Jimmy and his partners saw an opportunity. When Sandy hit us, 
this is when we were just taking off. We, you know, we didn't have much money, and it, yeah, it flooded the whole, you know, the shop. And that's when we we made the decision to switch it into because the, there was already a restaurant that spot. It had like a hood, and it had like you know. So we were, you know, we needed, you know, to get some money, to make some money faster, I guess. So we were like, hmm, let's try a restaurant. There was just one nagging problem. Jimmy and his team had taken the fish and ship location as a restaurant supplier, not a consumer-facing restaurant itself. And at first glance, the location, which was in an industrial part of Ridgewood, was not particularly accessible to their potential customers. We took that spot because it was, we didn't need a great location or anything. It was mad cheap. It was industrial. It was like, you know, it's like a scrap metal across the street. It was like junkyard down the block. Um, cement shop right next to us. It was, uh, so yeah, we never got that space thinking we would have a restaurant. Um, even thinking back now, I don't know what, it's kind of crazy <laughs> that we, uh, actually went through with it but I don't know it's, I guess it's like the belief that uh, you know you just feel like if you build something cool that people will come you know necessity of course is the mother of invention and in 2013 Jimmy and his brother Jackie who was himself an accomplished chef along with those childhood friends from Elmhurst reconfigured the storefront as a restaurant experience that was if not necessarily accessible authentic it was a tiny little 24 seater and um it was out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, you know we uh, we had to come up with something that we thought would bring people because it was like there was no uh, wasn't close to uh, public transport uh, transportation or any train stations. Or... They called it bunker, a play on the Vietnamese word bun, which refers to the vermicelli noodles common in Vietnamese street food. Despite its somewhat daunting location, the new restaurant quickly became a hit scoring write-ups in places like the New York Times and the New Yorker, which praised its elegant but unfussy take on Vietnamese cuisine. Oh, we started uh, we started getting some press, and it just started building from there. I just felt like, you know, we were trying to do something authentic. We weren't, you know, trying to be anything. We were just trying to be ourselves and um, showcasing a lot of the dishes that I grew up loving that I felt like maybe a lot of people uh, weren't familiar with. Jimmy says that when Bunker was first getting started more than five years ago, he felt that the Vietnamese food scene in New York was underrepresented. While New Yorkers today might be more familiar with dishes like Vietnamese pancakes or lemongrass pork, part of what Jimmy wanted to accomplish with that first version of Bunker was to introduce people to a new side of Vietnamese cooking, with dishes that they probably hadn't heard of before. One was uh, Bun Xiao, which is that Vietnamese pancake. There's this, um, the crispy, uh, it's, you know, it's made with uh, rice flour and uh, turmeric and uh, uh, bacon and shrimp that my mom used to make. And we used to love that dish and even gone to going to Vietnam and trying it in other, you know, other households and it wasn't the same. I always thought my mom's was the best, you know, so uh, I kind of recreated that. Jimmy also wanted to tackle more familiar Vietnamese staples, like pho, in a way that felt more authentic to his own interest in clean, ingredient-forward cooking. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do pho. And I just know, you know, most of the Vietnamese restaurants, uh, even now, it's all, most of it's uh, Chinese Vietnamese. And, um, but just knowing their practices, even in Vietnam, they would just all put MSG and, you know, and... uh, here is a lot of it's like beef base or chicken base, 
on top of like, you know, they'll put bones in it, but they'll extend it with like beef base and chicken base, and on top of that MSG and and um, yeah, that's like you know, to me, that's I just wish people were more aware of what they're eating and stuff like that, because to me, that stuff is that healthy. It's not good for you. The process behind Jimmy's pho has changed quite a bit since he first started making it back at that original bunker location. And to see how it's changed is to see how Bunker has changed. How it's grown from its humble beginnings in Ridgewood into the restaurant it is today here in Bushwick. Before it was crazy. We had, uh, you know, the kitchen was crazy. We had uh, one stove that we had to have a stock pot there while we're doing service because, you know, but we didn't have the beef back then. We, had, we did the chicken. Otherwise, it would have been impossible. As Bunker picked up momentum, both the business and the culinary aspirations behind the restaurant quickly outgrew the 24-seater in that industrial part of Ridgewood. So in 2017, Bunker relocated to its current space here in Bushwick, which is, of course, a bit more accessible for diners. But just as importantly, it's no longer a restaurant in a seafood distributor's body. It's a restaurant through and through, one that's allowed Jimmy and the team to manage the craziness of service as they see fit. Here, they can seat a full evening's worth of diners. Here, Jimmy can invest as much time and effort as he wants into his pho without worrying about how to ration a stove with just one pot for a night's service. Today, Bunker can spend 48 hours just making broth. Beef, uh, I mean... We, uh, you know, we get grass-fed bones that we uh, boil it, a um, little salt for about five, five to ten minutes, strain it off, uh, pour out the water, wash the bones, then we fill it back up. Uh, then we uh, simmer that for about 12 hours. And then, uh, yeah, and then the next day we'll reinforce that with... Um, Baby back ribs, I mean, uh, back ribs, beef back ribs, um, brisket, oxtail, shin bone, and uh, cook that. We'll take that out, and then we'll add in uh, roasted shallots, roasted onions, ginger, all the spices, um, coriander, star anise, cardamom, um, cinnamon. So there's a lot of layers of, like, you know, but it's, like, straight-up beef, and, yeah, it's a... It's quite a process. It seems that, in many ways, the move to the space here in Bushwick has allowed the team to embrace an even bolder vision for the kind of conscious, ingredient-forward cooking about which Jimmy seems increasingly passionate. Now, they can do things like grow their own mushrooms or participate in events like Goat-tober. We're part of uh, Goat-tober with uh, Heritage. I didn't know Goat-tober was... Yeah. Uh, what is Goat-tober? It's just that they want to... Um, I guess they want to... They wanna, um, expand like people's uh, uh, awareness of goat is a healthy and it's a they so uh, a lot of restaurants they they start running goats like a lot of these are local uh, really delicious goat so yeah so we did a uh, last year we did some goat fun awesome but yeah I'm big into making soups I love uh, the whole process it's like the alchemy and wealth of turning you know bones or something into like and extracting that into the broth. Though Bunker doesn't make a show of it on their menu or marketing, Jimmy seems committed to serving the highest quality meals to diners, even though it may be more expensive for the restaurant. You know, I put a lot of thought behind it and a lot of it is like 
people don't even know. Maybe it's a waste. Like, you know, but, you know, it's like, you know, like I say, like, it's the sugar, like the salts we get. It's like, I use the Himalayan sea salt and, you know, uh, another one is the Jada sea salt and all our sugars or like our fish sauces, uh, Red Bull um, that we use. And it's like seven, eight times the price of like regular fish sauce. And Ultimately for Jimmy, it seems that cooking these days is about putting out food that he can stand by in terms of the flavors, the authenticity, and the overall, well, goodness. Like, you know, I like to stand behind my food. I, I, I like to be able to, like, have my family, kids here, and feel good about it, you know, like, because, uh, you know, I'm into health, so I'm always, right now, since we ha I have control over what they eat, you know, I'm, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like uh, other people to know that and, you know, come here and feel good about uh eating whatever that you know I put a, we put a lot of thought and care behind that For someone who's been so influenced by his communities Jimmy now seems focused on how with Bunker he might be able to give something back He and the team are beginning to expand Bunker's footprint beyond the things the restaurant has typically been known for into exciting new areas that range from live music for diners to health talks in the community to experimental concept dinners. Yeah, we want to introduce more like juices and stuff like that. Like in Vietnam, um, what I love about so many of the restaurants, like anywhere you go, you get a watermelon juice or a kiwi shake or an avocado shake or, uh, you know, just, and, you know, it's awesome. There's like papaya or mango or uh, we want to do, uh, we got a lot more uh, live music. We have a jazz band um, this Sunday uh, for brunch. Um, we have another band coming. Yeah, we want to do some more music, uh, a lot more music uh, stuff. We want to do. I uh, want to do more uh, some fun. We have a raw bar. Uh, we want to roll out. Um, and yeah, I want to like uh, some of these concept dinners. I want to do like the seven courses of beef or hot pot or the seafood boil whole animals, stuff like that, or even a vegetarian dinner, or, you know, more like chef-tasting kind of deal. If you're interested in learning more about what Bunker has in store, or how you might be able to work together, you can follow Jimmy and the team on Instagram at bunker.nyc. You can also visit their website, bunkernyc.com. We've got all this info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. We'd like to extend our sincere thanks to Jimmy and the Bunker team for taking some time out of a hectic prep schedule to take us behind the scenes of the restaurant. And as always, we'd also like to thank you for listening this week. If you enjoy Bushwick Podcast, you can do us a huge favor by telling a friend or by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform, which helps us reach even more new listeners with stories like these. We'll be back next week with another story you won't want to miss. In the meantime, did you know that Bushwick Podcast is made by people just like you? We'd love your thoughts and your help. If you have questions, comments, or are interested in getting involved, send us an email to hello at hearbushwick.com. That's H-E-A-R bushwick.com. Or you can always DM us on our Instagram page at Bushwick Podcast. We look forward to hearing from you soon, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.